I'm Alex Delay, and this is Vision Vibes. This story was originally broadcast on television as part of NHK World Japan's interview series, Direct Talk. We've all heard some version of the expression, give someone a fish and they'll eat for a day, teach them to fish and they'll eat for a lifetime. The idea is that empowerment is more sustainable than charity. It's a simple and beautiful thought that we as a society are not always great at implementing. Don't get me wrong, charity and compassion are positive sentiments, but they must be exercised with some caution. Certain groups of people have become so closely associated with charitable causes that we forget everything they've contributed to society. For example, when I say migrant, what do you picture? Do you see dozens of faces crossing the sea in makeshift boats? Or do you see Uslim Turetzi and Uyghur Zahin, the children of Turkish migrants who helped save hundreds of millions of souls by developing the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID vaccine? The fact is, how we imagine groups of people influences how those groups end up being treated in our society. Nobody knows this better than today's guest, Lillian Fan. Lillian is the international director and co-founder of the Gutanyo Foundation, a Malaysian organization that specializes in assisting Rohingya refugees from Myanmar. What does Lillian do to empower a group of people who are often without formal education or legal status? Let's join narrator Jean Otani and find out on today's episode of Vision Vibes. Rohingya refugees who fled Myanmar have begun to relocate due to terrible conditions in Bangladesh camps. Many of them moved to Malaysia in order to find a better life. Lillian Fan is a co-founder of the Gitanyo Foundation. She supports Rohingya refugees in Malaysia, bringing their voices to policymakers and the general public. She believes that it's important not only to provide help, but also to encourage refugees to speak out, become self-reliant, and work with the local communities. So as long as you have conflict, as long as you have violence, as long as you have um, starvation and, you know, um, really desperate situations, people are going to keep trying to find ways of leaving. You know, they have people like myself, you know, journalists, NGOs coming in and coming out, visiting them, but they're still stuck. You know, they still can't go anywhere. It's a very, uh, you know, devastating um, situation. There's no better way to understand what's happening than to hear it directly from people who are there. You know, of course, sometimes they text me in the middle of the night <laughs> and I have to tell them three in the morning now. So I'll reply tomorrow. But that's part of the job. So for me, that's a small sacrifice to make. Uh, in the end, I prefer to be connected. There are about 180,000 refugees in Malaysia. More than 100,000 of them are Rohingyas. These refugees don't have access to education and working rights as Malaysia has not ratified the UN Refugee Convention. Many of them um, are very isolated. Rohingya women, most of them are illiterate. They have never been granted any form of education in Myanmar, in Bangladesh, you know, or, or even here. And 
it's very difficult for them to communicate. They could be uh, arrested and detained any time, so uh, it makes them even more scared to leave the house. Uh, they get um, you know, exposed to abuse as well. And there are also many who just never find work, who are constantly having to ask for help. It's a cycle, you know, it's a cycle of vulnerability. And it's not easy at all for uh, refugees, one difficulty, one challenge after another, and no recognition and no real protection. So it's a really difficult um, cycle. Fan constantly receives calls from refugees asking for help. She is seen as a sister to the Rohingyas in Malaysia. She supports them by distributing food, providing education, along with empowering them to become leaders in their community. She prioritizes listening to their actual voices in order to find out what kind of policies are needed. And she strategically hires refugees as staff in order to connect with the community. Most of the Gitanyo members are Rohingya, Syrian, and Afghan refugees. I never want to ask someone to tell me a very painful history and then never hear from them again or they don't have a way to contact me because I think it's, it's almost a responsibility that you have. So many of them have cried on my shoulder next to me while I'm talking to them. So when you've gone through that kind of connection and really listened to them in that way, I, I just feel like you, I can't turn away, you know, and I'll always make time. For them. That's why I don't sleep very much. But, you know, it's, it's, it's important, I think. As I said, it always um, allows us to keep the reality of what refugees are experiencing uh, at the center of everything we do. There's a difference when your staff are from there and when your management, your leadership from the organization is from there as well, is from these um, countries, and they really understand what war is. I mean, there's so many things, for example, that I may not see. They will tell me things that I would never think of. As, as much as I've been working in this field for 20 years now, there are still things that will, are not automatic to me because you just don't understand it as much unless you've lived through it. Fan grew up with parents who were human rights activists. She met a refugee from Aceh, Indonesia, Jaffa Siddiq Hamza, when she was studying anthropology at Columbia University in the U.S. Jaffa fled the conflict in Aceh and was working as a human rights lawyer in New York to provide humanitarian aid to his country. Fan visited Aceh to start a coalition with local humanitarian organizations. Jaffa was working closely with them. However, in 2000, he was kidnapped and killed in Aceh. I was devastated because Jaffa was like an older brother to me. You know, he was like, like a mentor in many ways and... and just such a gentle person. He was the one who really gave me the kind of confidence. He said, you know, you don't have to understand all the politics right now. I mean, that will come later. Right now, think about the people who need help because of the conflict. And you don't have to be an expert in politics. You know, what you need is to care enough about what's happening to people there. I remember making a promise uh, to Jaffa also that I would continue to work um, on Aceh, I would continue to work on peace. Part of the work of Gatanyo is we inherited that, you know? It was also part of um, fulfilling that promise uh, to, to Jaffa. After graduation, Fan officially started the Gatanyo Foundation with Achenese humanitarian activists. This was to support refugees from Aceh who fled to Malaysia. She realized that many problems were being overlooked when she directly started talking with them. 
I think one thing that it sometimes misses is um, really understanding the context on the ground, really understanding the communities, and we work based on expertise and experience. So we've found ways of building that trust um, with uh, you know, certain ministries, certain experts in government, certain officials who are responsible for these um, issues, and they ask us for advice. And I think part of the advantage of being a smaller organization is they, think they, they feel they can trust us because they know exactly who they're talking to. We spend a lot of time talking to people, a lot of time in consultation, a lot of time understanding, because a lot of our work is advocacy. Over time, Pham became interested in the refugee situation, not only in Aceh, but in other parts of Asia. The Rohingya refugees living in harsh conditions in particular caught her attention. I've worked in many places with um, persons who are affected by conflict, with refugees, with displaced persons, uh, but I've never seen anything as large as uh, Cox's Bazaar. When you see the situation there, you know, it's, it's the kind of um, experience that you'll really never forget. In the very difficult situation, you, you start hearing them lose hope. You know, we've heard all kinds of stories about, um, I mean, the trafficking is not only to leave the country, it's also there's been trafficking within the country, trafficking of children uh, for labor, and then uh, drugs, you know, there's also a drug syndicate in that area. The refugees are also vulnerable um, to this, uh, either to be, you know, targeted or to be um, used by the syndicate as well. I mean, really the loss of hope, it's a huge, huge um, issue. There shouldn't ever be a camp like this that is allowed to continue for that long. But unfortunately, that's that's also the reality for displaced persons. In 2017, more than 700,000 Rohingya Muslims fled Myanmar to Bangladesh after violent crackdowns. Thereafter, many Rohingyas started moving to Malaysia due to harsh conditions. However, the Malaysian government doesn't allow Rohingyas to work in their country legally. Of course, they have to work to survive, but they're forced to find work which is um, illegal or, you know, undocumented. And it leaves them open to a lot of exploitation. You know, we, we know a lot of refugees who are working and then they don't get paid and there's no contract or they're working in very dangerous jobs and there's no insurance. Um, you know, so the, it's uh, a lot of cases like that. And a lot of Rohingya women, even the adults, never had education. Um, and that really affected them in terms of, you know, their ability to communicate, their ability to be mobile, you know, to even know how to take a bus, to uh, read an electricity bill, you know, in the local language, to read the prices, all of these things. It's very heartbreaking for them. To change the situation, fans started a literacy project teaching English to Rohingya women and children. It created refugee-led educational opportunities not otherwise available in Malaysia. The one who steered this project was Hassan. He is a young Rohingya refugee who survived the boat journey to Malaysia. He was someone who took initiative, you know, and didn't wait. So we asked him, okay, you do a survey and you tell us what do you think are the, the two or three most priority uh, needs of the Rohingya right now? which are not being met by other organizations. And he was able to identify a lot of the, the women's needs. You know, he told us women need education because there's very low literacy. So that's how we started, you know, to, to work with him. And we always try to build on leadership that is emerging and try to support it, you know, to find ways of encouraging it, right? It's about providing that individual um, with a space to grow and giving them skills, you know, giving them an opportunity 
to be part of an organization that believes in their leadership, learning and making mistakes as well. I feel like I am here today because of her. She was the one who trained us, teach us from our mistakes. This one. Uh, being able to meet someone who is really helpful and who is really there whenever you need, whenever community needs her. It's very good, so be very helpful. She always been like that. She always been like a family to us. The unstable life of Rohingyas was hit by the COVID-19 pandemic. Boats carrying Rohingyas continue to head towards Malaysia despite the Southeast Asian country tightening its borders. The government or of international protection is it's different. It's very different. You know, we see it as a protection issue, and the immigration sees it as a as a breach of um, you know uh, legal borders. And we need to find a way to bridge those. You know, it's not to say one is wrong and to find a solution where you don't allow for that breach, but you also allow for protection in the right cases. You know, in cases where they really need protection. But they're facing enormous challenges. And enormous risks. The kind of xenophobia that we saw, you know, a lot of it was uh, accusations of that Rohingya were asking for Malaysian nationality. That's not the case. You know, Mal- uh, Rohingya refugees they want citizenship in Myanmar. You know, it was all very deliberate to tarnish the image of the Rohingya and make um, the local population feel uncomfortable with them. And it, it really affected, you know, many Rohingya. I mean, a, a lot of them. I think from that time, just felt very unwelcome and very scared. But on the other hand, we had this amazing solidarity, um, which has been encouraging. Where you have Rohingya communities living side by side with local communities, and they never really talk to each other. So there's this suspicion that grows, and it can actually be solved. You know, if you start to find ways of having dialogue with each other. So you know, it's important to take all of this in, in balance and um, try to build on the positive things. Fan even brought Rohingyas and other refugees to Parliament to discuss their issues with policymakers. It gave them a unique chance to voice their concerns to government officials by linking the policymakers to the refugees directly. That it will help them make decisions about what needs to be done.、Um, so you know, when I went there, I, I felt that that's what I could do. I could help to connect them. You know, nobody speaks better about the situation. Than the people in that situation. I think also changing the perception that、um, policymakers have of refugees, because policymakers don't have an opportunity to work with refugees often. So they tend to think of refugees、um, with a kind of charity mindset, as being very needy, very poor, very you know. Some of those things are true, but you never see the things that refugees are doing for themselves. You don't see the leadership right in their community. So. When we bring them to Parliament and they speak, and my God, they speak incredibly articulately. You know, it's it's a shock. It's really a shock for、um, the parliamentarians, and I think it's it's important to give them that shock because then they realise, my gosh, if you invest in these people, imagine what they can do. You know, if you give them education, you give them an opportunity. A few days ago, they've started this walk-in vaccination initiative, which is really positive. Going to include refugees. It, it doesn't matter. What your status is, you you are entitled to get you know vaccinated for free. That's a very big statement. You know the government has understood how important this is, and that's thanks to a lot of advocacy that's been done. So when we see the signs that the government is willing to take that step, we will do everything to support the government to implement those steps. She left us with these final words: Listen with compassion, recognize and amplify dignity and humanity. I think we start really by by listening. 
and, and by listening with the most open heart and mind that we can possibly offer um, to others because we need to understand what people are going through. And, and then as we do that, you know, to recognize that there's not only suffering, but that there's dignity. We find a way to protect each other and, um, you know, to not look so much at differences and appreciate the diversity that we have and look at all the ways in which every single person can contribute to becoming, to, to building that society, which is why it's so important to try to put refugees in the center, try to let them speak for themselves. And if anything, um, I, I hope that we can rise together from that and understand the suffering of each other, including suffering that refugees have, and learn to listen to each other more and have more compassion. Listen with compassion. Recognize and amplify dignity and humanity. What Lillian teaches us with her message is that doing good in the world is a layered process, especially if you're trying to help people. It's not enough to rush in with preconceived ideas of what's good for them. Doing good always starts with listening. Here, I think storytellers could do a much better job. Whenever you see a blockbuster movie nowadays, it's always heroes saving the world from some big, obvious threat. Real-world heroes don't work that way. They don't go off on their own and save the day. They communicate, they listen, and based on what they've learned, they act. Often, their actions involve putting others forward, and they measure their own success by how much other people thrive. To me, that's what made Lillian's story so inspiring. You can hear the passion in her voice when she sees members of the Malaysian community being more open toward Rohingya refugees. The fact that she gets so much joy from helping other people shows that we could all do a bit more good in our lives. We wouldn't just be helping those in need. We would be saving ourselves. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. You can find the transcript as well as our other stories on the NHK World website. I've been Alex Delay. Join us next time for more mind-expanding insights from inspiring people on Vision Vibes.